Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Thanksgiving break, and then the week after Thanksgiving, 
on Wednesday night, same time we normally do worship night, we're going to do just a big Christmas party at my house. There will be information. We'll send you the address. We're going to do just a big, uh, I don't know if you know what a Lessons and Carols is. We're just going to sing Christmas songs and stuff our face with brownies and desserts and all that good stuff. So, um, so more information to come on that, but that will be really, really fun. All right. So we are getting towards the end of our sermon series on the first chunk of chapters of the Old Testament book of Genesis. Uh, and we've seen how this story of the origins of all things uh, really and truly is our story that makes sense of, of our world. Um, that makes sense of our world. And um, it's our real, real world that we actually live in. I hope you, you are getting a sense for that. And tonight we're going to pick up after the flood and after seeing that even this monumental figure of the Bible, Noah, is actually just a big, simple mess, kind of like me and you. Um, and we are going to see how his family now goes and, and repopulates the world in ancient times. And we're just going to like touch on some of these verses, but that's the idea that you're going to see here is that like God wants human beings to go be fruitful and multiply, go fill the earth and be these little representatives, these little many images of Him bringing His glory and His kingdom across the globe. Um, and we're going to see a little snapshot of a group of people and kind of see how that goes. Right? We've got what God wants, but how does that actually go? Um, all right, so let's read and let's see how the story continues. So Genesis chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Like I said, we're going we're to skip over some of the genealogy stuff, but um, you'll get the picture. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Skipping forward to 1032. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, your word uh, is, is food for us. It says of itself. Um, and so I pray just with all the, all the different things going on and all the different lives and all the different stories represented here in the room, 
um, that you would meet us with your story and that you would feed us. And what I mean by that, that you would help us to understand who we are, like truly who we are. That you will help us to, to know and experience a real relationship with you as you are talking to us through this weak servant that I am. And Lord, that your spirit would nourish our spirits. Um, Lord, we need life. We need to be sustained. We need to be reminded of these things that are just so easy for us to forget and that our hearts just are just bent away from. Bend us back, Lord, to yourself. And this is in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so I love reading to my daughter's Shel Silverstein poems. I don't know if y'all read those books. Um, but one of my favorites is a poem called Fancy Dive. Here it is. The fanciest dive that ever was dove was done by Melissa of Coconut Grove. She bounced on the board and flew into the air with the twist of her head and the twirl of her hair. She did 34 jackknives, backflipped and spun, quadruple gainer, and reached for the sun, and then somersaulted nine times and a quarter, and looked down and saw the pool had no water. Um, the story, you can laugh, it's funny. It's funny Good job. All right. right, the story of the Tower of Babel, maybe a, a famous one, maybe one you've, you've heard of before, is actually, I think, one of the more insulting stories in the entire Bible, as it is insulting in the direction of the ability and power of human beings, or should I say the lack thereof. Because it's the story of people who put their ingenuity and teamwork and like the best of their human resources into manufacturing something that is actually objectively amazing. Right? They built a city. They built a civilization. They built this incredible just architectural, I mean, it would have been one of the wonders of the world at the time, this tower. Um, and, look, and so this tower, just to give you a little ancient Near Eastern background, um, it wasn't just a tower. It was what we would call a, a ziggurat. A ziggurat. A ziggurat. Um, which was thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, which was it would have been the Mesopotamian version of a pyramid, uh, or like if you've seen a picture of the Mayan, like Mayan temples, it would have been something like that. Um, and like it, it was a religious worship site, right? It was a temple mount where people would have gone, they would have ascended, and they would have done this religious worship. It's where they would have kind of transcended into the heavenly realm and communed with God, right? The text says that they built this tower with its top in the heavens. That didn't just mean that it was really tall. It literally meant that they were trying to manufacture for themselves. They were trying to tap back into heaven. They were trying to tap back into Eden. They're trying to tap back into their long-lost home with God. Um, and all their backflips and all their somersaults and their genius and their manpower was just met with an embarrassing face plant in God. And God said, this is futile. And I'm going to dismantle it. And this is a sobering story. It's humiliating. But I also want us to see that it's good news. Um, 
So tonight, let's look at, let's just look at what does God do? Two things. That God confounds, and second, God comes down. So he confounds, he comes down. First, God confounds. So again, God's plan from the beginning of Eden, uh, we've talked about this a lot this semester, because this is just a big theme of Genesis, uh, is that his plan from the beginning in, in Eden, and then even continuing now, uh, with Noah, this new Adam is for humankind to, to grow and expand and to cover the earth and then therefore bring God's glory with them as they are little images of him. And they're supposed to live and work and play and raise families and worship and do science and do it all aimed at and aligned with God and his purposes and glorifying him. Right? Lifting Him up as, as our all in all. Having, having hearts essentially with this, this disposition that is framed with the posture of, hey, like what, what pleases God? What makes Him happy? And so then how can I pour myself and my energy and all that I am into that? Into whatever that is, that's what I'm about. Right? That was the plan. It's still the plan. It's what we're supposed to be like. It's what we're supposed to do. But what's the reality? Verse 4. Turn back there. In uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In other words, like, lest we do what God asked us to actually do. Right? So the creations, they're turning from their purpose. They're turning away from what they were actually made for, how they were actually made and designed to thrive. And they and we, this is a story about us too, we turn inward and we rebel and we serve ourselves. In other words, we build our own kingdom Instead of building gods. Um, and look, and here's, I think, the particularly dangerous thing about kingdom building. Is that just like this Tower of Babel group, it can be really easy, especially easy, to build our own kingdom under the guise of this like good, religious, upstanding, good member of society kind of kingdom. Right, because that's what they were doing. Right, they were building this giant center of worship. Like, look, we're like good religious people that are all about like we want to worship the gods and all that. Look, y'all, our culture here at A and M, it just absolutely traffics in this kind of thing. Right, it's just in the air we breathe in. Like, to some extent, to be an Aggie is to say, let's make a name for ourselves. Like. Here's my resume, or I'm building my resume. Here's my network. Here's this big, giant chunk of gold on my finger that I wear. And like, not only are we like all about building that, we go and look, we're we are the good, moral, religious, righteous kind of school, and like those like hippie, godless people over there to you. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're not just building something. Like we are, we are popping up into heaven. And God takes one look at that and goes, nah. It's just rebellion. It's just rebellion. 
Is that confounding to you? Is that frustrating to you? Does that make you kind of mad to hear me say that? Like, I don't, I think if that doesn't make you a little mad, you're probably not listening to what we're saying. Because I think as much as we talk about grace as a good thing, and is grace a good thing? Grace is the best thing. Grace is a very, very good thing. Grace is also a pride-shattering thing. Grace is a below-the-knees, out-from-underneath-every-resume-wielding person on the planet thing as well. Right? Because God's kingdom, right, in His kingdom, this thing is unconditionally all about Him, all aimed at Him. What He does, what He accomplishes, Right? And then what he actually like then comes and brings to us for free. And so would you actually consider this an invitation? Where do you find yourself confounded? Where do you find yourself frustrated? Maybe with school or with people or with your professor. Um, right? What is, as far as you're concerned, in your way? What is standing in your way of like what you really want and what you feel like you really need? What if that's good news? Right? What if God is kindly challenging your kingdom building? Right? What if he's actually taking away you building your kingdom and he's trying to replace it with his own, his own that can only be given to you for free? So I like what if his kingdom is one where you learn to be content that you're single right now, maybe? And God wants you to find your contentment in a relationship with him. What if God's kingdom is one where, uh, where maybe you need to change majors? Because just like you're failing the one that you're in right now. And like you're going to get kicked out of school if you don't change something. And maybe God wants to take away from you the kingdom building of like, I have to major in this so that I get the certain salary and the certain pay scale to have the life I want. What if God wants you to change your career into something that is more oriented towards serving him, serving his people, serving somebody other than yourself? Right? What if is God what if God is confounding it? And maybe and like maybe you're doing right. Maybe you're killing it. Here at AM. Maybe you're getting everything you've ever wanted and more. And maybe the thing that's confounding you is it's not making you as happy as you thought it would. Maybe that's God's way of saying you can have the whole world and you can lose your soul in the process. Right? What if God is confounding you to peel you away from you and replace you with Him? And his free love. And God confounds. What else does God do? Comes down. There's an irony in this passage, right? The people say, hey, let's build a tower to heaven. And what does God have to do? God has to actually then come down to meet them where they are, right? In their best efforts to remanufacture heaven, to try to get back up there, tap back into God. They weren't even close. God has to come down to him, come down to them. And here's the awesome thing. 
He does. God actually comes down to them. And y'all, that there, like those, like God comes down in a nutshell, that is the good news of Christianity. Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview that says salvation, human flourishing, human fulfillment, the good life, however you want to conceptualize that, talk about that. It is not found in human activity or human achievements. It is not found in a certain set of religious practices or rules to follow. It is not found by just digging into yourself, finding yourself. It does not come from actualizing some kind of identity that is latent in you. It is found in the God who is, the God who He does, the God who is coming down. Salvation comes from God bringing it down to you and to me. You know, we're getting to that time of year that the Christian church, and look, and let me just say this from the outset. I know that in this room, like not everybody uh, grew up maybe in a Christian church, um, but one of the things that the Christian church has traditionally celebrated uh, is this thing called Advent. And it's just this season of leaning into waiting and longing for, for God to come down, for God to come down into this world. And, as you may or may not know, Advent culminates in the celebration of Christmas. Christmas. God coming down by actually being born as an infant child, as Jesus of Nazareth. And as the, the famous Christmas carol goes, I think this is from the Cunningham Emmanuel. Um, it says he was born a child. And yet a king. Because he is the king of the kingdom. And his kingdom is this. Is that he gives perfect connection to God. He gives perfect connection to God to people like you and me. He connects us to God. How can he reconnect us to God? Because uh, he, he is God. He's man. He's God. Right? He is actually that, that tower. He is that connection point that can actually reach up into heaven. Because it's not even so much that he reaches up, it's that he brought it down. But on the cross, he's confounded. He's cursed. He's cast out. He's the one that gets treated as if he was the one engaged in all-out treasonous kingdom building. And we get restored to heaven. Um, there's a, a series of short stories in a little book called The Brownsville Stories written by author uh, Oscar Cesares. And he has this story of, of R.G., um, this Hispanic man. And the whole story is about R.G. He lends his hammer to his across-the-street um, neighbor, and his neighbor doesn't return it for like four years. And there's just this resentment that starts to form, this distance starts to form, like kind of slowly but surely, but then eventually a significant, like they don't even acknowledge or talk to each other. And then finally one day, on the eve of this impending hurricane, RG is at the store buying lumber to, to board up his windows. Um, and his neighbor is there and asks him for help to board up his windows as well. Um, and RG helps him. And he really ends up uh, doing most of the work because he actually knew what he was doing. 
Um, but then uh, he, um, yeah, so as RG is helping them, and RG, uh, he ends up doing most of the work, and he's got this beat-up second hammer that he's kind of been using to do his work because his good hammer was borrowed and never never returned. And, um, and the, the neighbor kind of like, hey, like, can I use your hammer real quick to like hammer nail in? And he sucks at it. And so he swings and he breaks the hammer. Uh, he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I broke your hammer. And he pulls out RG's hammer. He said, here, why, why don't you take my hammer since I broke yours? Look, I, I owe you anyway. Um, I think we can often slip into living and acting like we are giving something to God. Like in our church attendance or in our being good or in our um, religiosity that we are giving something to God. Or maybe in our life, we forget that our abilities, our gifts, our intellectual talents, our charisma, our money, possessions, we can slip into thinking that those things are ours. That they come from us, that they belong to us. But in actuality, as we do those things, we are just returning to God a hammer that already belongs to him. All the gifts are his, right? All of life is just one big, huge grace, like breathing in and out as grace. Our existence is just one giant expression of the fact that God is kind and gracious. Um, and man, that is disorienting. Grace is disorienting. Right? Having your life reoriented to the fact that this is just all free gift and I can't earn a single ounce of God's grace. And the point is that He just hands it to us in Jesus. Like That will drop you low and just skyrocket you up at the same time. And look, y'all, this short sermon like this, I'm not even coming... Close to saying all the things that need to be said, and I'm sure I'm just bringing up more questions in your life. Like, what does it look like for me to not build my kingdom? Or like, ah, yikes, am I building my own kingdom? And like, what do I need to do to build God's? Like, there's a lot to work out there, and I'd love to meet with you and help you work that out. But like, what if we just started here? Let's just hold Jesus's hammer and know that it's his hammer and not our. Let's hold his cross. Let's hold the gift that is friendship with God and reconnection with God. All the riches of heaven and his eternal purposes for his glory, which are synonymous with our good. Let's just hold that. Let's hold it. Let's step into our lives. Let's step into our goals. Let's step into our ambitions. Let's step into our priorities holding Jesus, holding us. Right? And if that's true, if our hands are on that, if we're letting our lives be reoriented to that, if that is what we're holding on to, then we can't hold on to our kingdom anymore. Right? We can't hold on to our kingdom building anymore. And we have to let it drop out of our hands. So would you consider that an invitation? Like, let's start there. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus,
Um, would you just help us take a few more steps just into the reality um, of your of your grace? It's not of this world. It's not of this world. It is not our our natural inclination uh, to live in an in an economy of unmerited grace. Um, our natural bent is is fighting and scraping and earning and like reaching and grabbing for something, anything, maybe to like t- to throw it up into the face of the universe and say, "See, I'm not nothing. I'm something." Um, that's like. That's the world. That's human nature. And so, Lord, would you help us to step into an economy that says, hey, actually, I, I am nothing. And when I can actually just say that, then I can have everything in God. That when I have nothing, I can have the whole kingdom <laughs> and it just be for free. Uh, Lord, help us step into that kingdom um, with more clarity this night. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.